We are live. Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to Kareen, uh, of course, and we'll do a proper introduction here, but also welcome to people in the chat. Uh, great to have some people here and some eyeballs on us. Um, it's awesome to have uh, interaction. So if you have any questions for Kareen, please throw it in the chat and we'll send them that, uh, her way. So let me give a formal introduction. I will say this. Hello and welcome to today's Permaculture Masterclass, where we dive deep into the many rabbit holes that permaculture opens up for us. Just as the permaculture enthusiast eventually takes a PDC, the PDC graduate eventually goes deeper to levels of mastery and proficiency beyond the PDC. And that's what today's masterclass is all about. I am Jesse. I'll be hosting today's conversation, which should last about 60 minutes. Please leave comments in the live chat for today's guest. And interaction always makes every conversation better, I believe. So uh, we look forward to it. So today we're honored to have uh, Kareen Brennan and a little bit of a biography. Kareen, you can correct me if anything's incorrect or add more to it in a second here. Um, but Kareen has extensive experience in both permaculture design and in education. She has taught permaculture design at Pine Ridge Lakota Reservation, various locations throughout the United States, and a number of universities and countries in the Americas and Europe. She is a sought-after public speaker, has been lecturing on permaculture since 2006. Her areas of expertise and passion are food forestry, small farms and food security, designing for resilience, community building, and regenerative economics, including the sharing economy. She has been involved in alternative education over the past three decades, including immersion education, mentoring, and other approaches, and has been teaching permaculture since 2006. In a society with information overload, she believes that it is not the amount of information one has, but the relevance and usefulness of it that creates competence and understanding. Amen. And welcome, Kareen. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Please tell us a little bit about where you're at in the world and what's been on your permaculture plate over the past couple months. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. Um, I am on a farm in Brooksville, Florida. We're managing a permaculture farm here and it's a very small town uh, north of Tampa. And right now we're having a lot of thunderstorms. We have a jet stream hanging over us and sending us wave after wave of thunderstorms. So you might hear some thunder maybe even. And uh, it's relatively cool today, but we're generally in the 90s at this point. We're, we're in the midst of summer and we're everything's going crazy and growing. So that's always fun to watch stuff grow. Yeah, that's great. It is always fun. And it's about 90 here or two in Southeast Michigan. So it's one of those days where I'm like, I do my work in the morning and then just go inside for a little while and try to recover. Um, but today, I mean, we could talk about a million things. You have extensive experience in all sorts of areas that are fascinating and interesting to permaculturists. But we really wanted to hone in on like starting a permaculture business you know, maybe for a beginner, but maybe for somebody who's tried it before and maybe not had success um, and sort of leveraging a lot of your experience and expertise. Like if you were to start over with the knowledge that you had now, where might you start? What might you focus on? Um, so let's just sort of launch into that and then we can see where we go. Great. Yeah, I. Uh, that's a great question because <laughs> there's a lot of things I would do differently. And I, I did a lot of things right, but it took me a while. It, it took me a while to figure out those things. So I'm glad to talk to people about those. Uh, one of them is just really utilizing mentors and uh, being around people who are successful, asking them questions, finding out how you can uh, serve them or help them so that they're willing to help you. Uh, Pina, of course, has a great mentorship program and I'm really excited about that. And I think it has tons of potential. Um, but that's, that's one of the main things. The other thing I would do is really study business plans. Uh, you know, a lot of permaculturists really don't want anything to do with, with those, that kind of business. They're, they're really trying to create a different lifestyle and a um, very alternative vision of how things can be. But I have to say those business plans are really, uh, they have a lot of good questions on them that make you really think about what you're doing and how you're going about it. And I did that plan about four years into running my own business and it, it really accelerated um, the business and, and it made me able to not do anything else for a living. So I was doing it part-time before then. And after that I could do it full-time. Oh, tell us a little bit more about that. Like, is there a certain place that we might go and check that out? Is it general questions of like making sure that you have like 
um, a sustainable business in the sense that you're like making sure that you're accounting for all of your inputs in terms of cost or what are you thinking more in terms of vision or what does it help you get clear? Yeah, about? all of the above. Like the SBA business plan is, has a lot of hard questions on it about, you know, are, have you really figured out how you're going to make money doing what you're doing and what is your competition? And in our case, we, we look at competition as, um, an asset as a, as a potential collaboration, which I really love about permaculture. Um, but it, what are they doing that's successful? That's, that's a really important thing to look at. And um, the, the, just a lot of questions. What is your marketing and your outreach plan? Uh, are you, do you have a clear vision of what you're delivering and can you communicate it to others? There's just long list of questions and I don't recall all of them, but yeah. No, that's a good resource that people can look at. I put it in yeah. the chat so people can follow up on that. Like, yeah, I wanted the, to the score business plan is another one. Okay, it, score. Yeah. And these are probably free online, I would think? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, that's great because in, in PDCs, at least in my PDC that I took, or two of them that I took, um, we don't really talk about business plans that much, but it is such a, it's so exciting to get into permaculture and the whole right livelihood thing really gets people excited to be like, yeah, I want a right livelihood job. Maybe I do want to start a business. But like you say, most of us are sort of like, I don't know, business phobic or money phobic to a degree. And I don't mean to speak for everybody, but I certainly was. And like, you know, like suspicious of the capitalist economy and these types of things. But that doesn't give you a sustainable lifestyle if you're just going to like eschew all of that and ignore it. You really have to confront it and then leverage it in a way that permaculturists can do, you know? Yes. And yes. And there's a whole bunch of ways that you can get out of that economy and, and you know, pay less bills, uh, cooperative living. And that, I mean, that's a whole nother subject. And, and that is important to integrate into your business to whatever degree you can. So there's the business plan. And then there's all the permaculture tools that you have that you can apply to business that take it next level. Yeah. Yeah. And like, let's look at this. Uh, hopefully you can see this, Corrine. Tell me if you can. Mm -hmm you know, design and education is, is, are the two things that most people think about doing. And there's very specific things that you should be good at and that you should do in order to be successful with those. And, and the Pioneer Diploma Program really walks you down that and, and takes you where you need to be to be mm -hmm. a professional in either one of those. Um, the community development is really about mostly nonprofit work. You're, you're going to get paid by nonprofit organizations or grants or something like that. And, and there's a number of people that are making great livings doing that kind of work. It's very fulfilling. And, and then site development can be, uh, you know, a lot of people are combining permaculture with landscaping and they're developing people's sites and mostly in the landscape area. But it, it, you know, one tool that you can think about because permaculture covers every aspect of life and you can be an expert in all those aspects. Maybe if you're a genius <laughs> beyond, but um, most people are really good in one or more, uh, maybe two of those aspects, really expert. And think about creating team with other people that have other expertise and, and focusing in and really, really getting good at one aspect because now you have this killer team that you can uh, basically market and do anything. Uh, you could you can work at any scale um, or just locally if all you want to do is people's backyards uh, and maybe some solar systems or some other aspect of that. Now you have a team that can deliver the whole package. Mm. And with gathering up a team, what advice do you have about with that? Do, do they need to be permaculture people? Would you recommend like maybe no, like you've, you're the permaculture designer. You really want to like get people who have different skill sets? How would you go about that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you my story. So I took the permaculture design course and I was looking for a career change and I was looking at getting a jobby job. And, <laughs> and I really didn't want to, because <laughs> yeah. I had been pretty freelance for a while. And uh, so I was looking at, uh, you know, how can I do this? Because I don't know enough about design to be a designer yet. So I took what I did know um, which was to design, you know, a little garden or a, a guild, one single fruit tree guild or some corner of someone's yard. And I, 
I started pitching my friends, hey, I could do this for you. And, and then, but I didn't want to install it. They all wanted it installed. Mm. So I found a landscaper through my networks, social capital, <laughs> and uh, said, hey, will you install this stuff if I uh, do the design and I monitor the installation to make sure that it's done right? And mm. he said, yeah, of course, you're bringing me business. Why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> yeah. So here's a partnership, um, which turned out to be great. And I have told other people about this and, and mentored them through that kind of process as a beginner um, where I don't have to know everything. I just pulled someone out of the, uh, my, my network who knew nothing about permaculture. And I was able to start training some of their staff on permaculture. Some of them ended up taking the design course actually and really getting into it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. I love that. Um, because, you know, often, we are more excited about the design aspect or the putting things together and then monitoring and making sure that it's successful and replacing trees that may die or whatever, but not so much into where, I mean, we're not, most of us are not a landscape company. We're not there to install things regularly and mow things and weed things. So that makes and a you lot have of to sense. Have, you, have a, you have to have insurance and you have to have licenses and you know, I wasn't really interested in all of that. I just wanted to do the design as you said. Yep. And then a question here, were you limited to the plants that the landscaper had in stock or did you provide different sources for those? No, and this is another partnership I created with nurseries. So mm. I checked out the wholesale nurseries in my area and some of them were retail and I talked them into giving me a wholesale price and I started working with nurseries and I actually got one of them to start growing plants they weren't growing. Oh, cool. So it's, it's a lot of the success, especially starting up, is really about relationships, which is what permaculture is all about. And uh, really thinking about how can you create those re relationships so you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, even if you don't know that much to start yep. with. Yeah. And just as a general point, do you have a preference or do you think of them more synergistically between like for-profit businesses versus nonprofit? They both have their pros and cons. They both had their, I've done both and I, I'm still doing both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it really depends on what you want to do. You know, if you want to do a lot of good works in the community with, with high poverty areas or um, places that, that there's not a lot of profit in, you know, definitely go with the nonprofit route. Right. Uh, the for-profit route is simpler. I have, I started with an LLC, a single person LLC, and that's super simple as far as taxes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, that's, I strongly recommend people think about simplicity when you're starting mm. because uh, you'd really, you want to focus in on getting good at your craft and uh, servicing your customers and your outreach plan so to get known and you don't want to have to deal with a lot of logistics and licenses. And that that's just my personal, some people want to do it the whole big business and they'll take a year to set all that up and then launch. And that right. is, that's, if you can do that, that's great. I was a single mom. I had to make money, <laughs> you know, so I, I just figured out what I could do. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about making money. Like, what types of things have you cobbled together? You know, cause like I'm very into like the multiple streams of uh, inputs in, you know, money coming in through various streams, just in case, right. Just in case something happens. So I'm sure that you, it sounds like you've kind of done similar things. What have, what systems or what uh, sort of interlaying uh, forms of income have you sort of created for yourself that you think are replicable by other people? Well, that that's, that was really exciting. I just kind of fell into it by applying permaculture. So I got so excited about this holistic kind of viewpoint toward life that I wanted to do it all at once. So I started trying to start an intentional community and I started a food forest and I started propagating plants and, um, you know, gone into energy and all these different aspects. And I ended up, you know, I had this sense, which, you know, this part I had sense about what could I do that I was good at, that I was mm -hmm. competent at? That's a really excellent question to ask when you're first starting out, because you everybody has skills and it may be you're good at talking to people and that's it. Great. That's incredible. You can make all kinds of money with that. 
yeah. <laughs> or maybe you're a good researcher or maybe, you know, whatever it is. And it's something that you like too. That's important. If you're running your own business, mm. um, you know, name that and then get better at it and start mar figuring out what's that niche. How, how can I market that niche? Who needs it? Mm. You know, and again, the a business plan will ask you those kinds of questions. Uh, so I did that and I, I knew I could lecture on starting a basic garden and some elements of a food forest. So I started giving lectures on that and mm -hmm. people loved it. And then I was also having intentional community meetings. And then I started doing some events because I had a friend's network that were artists and, you know, did kind of different events and, uh, and then because people in the, that came to the intentional community meeting wanted to buy plants, I started having a nursery in my place. Mm -hmm. And I, I was starting to capture energy from all these different areas. And that's, you know, capture and store energy is a permaculture principle. The other principle that I really applied was integrate, don't segregate. So taking all of these different things and integrating them into one activity so that the energy flows could go back and forth was a really important part of of me being successful yeah absolutely um, so we had we had some great events where we had art in the food forest and uh performers and vendors and you know just trying to it was a just a wild hodgepodge but it brought cool. so many different kinds of people in who then could be educated about permaculture we took them through the food forest tours and um, gave them flyers about what we did and it, it worked pretty well that's a really interesting idea like an event you know based on permaculture or like part of permaculture part event or something i like that a lot that seems like that would work yeah i gotta tell you because i was pretty mainstream at the time I, my friends were so i had a manure shoveling party <laughs> Bring the kids. Because <laughs> I had to fill all their beds and I didn't want to do it myself. So it's like, okay. <laughs> and it, it was great. The people that showed up, <laughs> which totally shocked me. The pe I never expected those people <laughs> to show up. <laughs> like people who are more like white collar type or something? Oh, totally. Oh, totally. that's so funny. They're Because they're sort of maybe hankering for like, I want to be part of nature. I want to like get dirty, you know? Yes. Yes, that's they, so funny and they started getting interested in okay i want a fruit tree i want you know just dabbling reaching uh, yeah so whatever your circumstance is you can find a way to tap into your networks and what you know and you know whatever it is <laughs> yes this this comment sums it all up when it comes to a manure <laughs> party I think that's great. But uh, there's a question in the chat about, can you talk about the intentional community? Like, how did that go for you? Any lessons there? Because that can be fraught with difficulties and people are can be challenging, et cetera. Yes. Yes. Um, that was that was a, a life-changing experience to try to put together that. I was a brand new permaculturist still, relatively speaking, and I didn't really know that much about intentional communities. And it, it was interesting because a mentor just showed up out of the blue mm. through our networks um, who had been doing it for 30 years, going around helping people set up intentional communities. Wow. Fabulous. And I would really, you know, tell people, link up with people who have done it. But, but whatever they tell you, don't get discouraged because a lot of people have had failures or disappointments or whatever. If you're going into an intentional community thinking you're going to have heaven and perfection, then you're going to be disappointed probably. <laughs> yeah. But you, you have to compare it to what you have now. Like mm. I have neighbors that are not very friendly and shoot guns a lot, you know, <laughs> and they don't want to talk to me. So you know, if I have someone that actually wants to talk to me and is has some kind of commonality, that's a step up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I've read that, like, it's, I'm not built in intentional communities or been part of that, but that it's important to have a shared like ethic or a shared, even a spiritual connection to keep them bonded together and to be able to sustain over time. Have you found that to be true? And is, do you think the permaculture ethics are enough of a glue to hold disparate folks together? 
Yeah, I yeah, I think that's essential. I think the goal of the community has you have to have agreements about the goal. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. it just becomes the suburbs. Right. Right. With hopefully food forest at least, right? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be a huge agreement. There can be a lot of disagreements. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny because people would come over, knock on my door urgently and ask me, do I have to eat with everybody every night? <laughs> oh, man. You know, and I would say, well, we, would, we don't want to eat with you if you don't want to eat with us. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. But also, you're not going to get kicked out of the community if you don't eat with us. You're like no. a free human. <laughs> no, let's, it, you know, the whole point of an intentional community, and this is something people miss, is that it's everybody's intention. So right. if you really don't want to eat dinner with everybody, then, well, let's work that out. Mm. You know, like there's some, there's a person that I was helping put together an intentional community. He had, a, he was a foodie and he required everyone to eat with him. Oh. And, and be a foodie and be into it and bring different dishes and okay the community is made around food and he was very he didn't want to negotiate about that point so good if you know up front what you're getting into and that's your passion then you, you know you're not going to be disappointed right yeah absolutely well, let's transition slightly, though this totally relates to the eight forms of capital. I know that's something that you use or you actually use to think about how to build a business, or is this just how you use to network your business that you're budding? Both. Okay. You know, um, if you just put out, this is what I need, and, and be out of the box. It's not always money. It could be connections or materials or anything else that's listed on that social capital uh, list or the, the uh, eight forms of capital list. So um, that's a key one. And, uh, and, you know, materials, if you need a lot of materials and you don't have the funds for them, again, think creatively. Think about working with someone else who does have those materials and, and doing some exchange for them or uh, bringing them in to help you with the business. Uh, there's there's just so many different ways that that these points can be made, and living capital is just a tremendous value, and it, that's when I figured out that I could make a thousand plants out of the five plants I had. That was it. <laughs> yes, me too. That was such like a oh, like abundance is a real thing. This isn't just a concept here, <laughs> and it can actually be profitable for me. Yeah. So, wow. Current plants, elderberry plants. I was like, oh my gosh, really? You just like wait, <laughs> let them grow. And then you can like get kind of like 50 plants from one or two or something. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's and, and of course, the power of seeds as well to yeah. just like exponentially give and give and give. Yeah. It feels like for me, it always feels like financial capital is limiting, like a limiting factor and always maybe a hard like I was working at a food forest in here out here on eight acres or so. And it was like, man, it'd be really nice to have like some like a decent tractor, like a compact tractor that could just do some of the heavy work. Cause eight acres is a lot of land to like physically be out there. Even with a crew of people, it's a lot, you know? And then you're like, Oh, well, you know, I don't have the money to get a $30,000 compact tractor or something like that. But like, that's where the eight forms of capital can be so valuable because you can go, okay, well, I don't have the money for that, but maybe someone in my social network actually already has a compact tracker that they use once a month and they wouldn't mind letting us have once a month or something like that. Yes. And, and that's how people used to do things. I mean, a whole, you know, farm community would buy one tractor and share it among themselves. And it was, yeah. we've just completely forgotten how to do that as a culture. Mm. Is there a business model that would work well for that? Like, certain type of business entity that owns and holds like uh, material things like a tractor or a key line plow or yada yada and that can members can join it and then benefit from but the business is like a separate thing if that makes sense well you know farm co-ops depending on the co-op have a lot of resources and they and the thing is is you can go in and suggest these resources and a really good model where you don't have to reinvent the wheel is a, a tool library. A lot of people mm -hmm. are doing those. Cities are opening up tool libraries where they have band saws and all the big equipment that 
everyone doesn't need those in their garage. No. <laughs> you only use it twice a year. You could, you know. So um, there's there's models out there that show you how to set up that kind of tool share system that could be pitched to farm co-ops. Or cities. Yeah. Yes. Anybody. Yeah. Uh, I nonprofits, um, even some local businesses. Sometimes businesses are really into serving the community and they might be interested in sponsoring something like that or or you letting an empty room be used for something like that. Mm. Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting idea. I'm thinking about my city and like I wonder if our city could have something like that. That would be very useful, I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What about culture, cultural capital? How do you think about that one or how, how might you encourage people to tap into cultural capital? Well, uh, one of my first mentors was uh, somebody that opened a school uh, food forest in South Central Los Angeles. And uh, he was really trying to get people interested in healthy food. And there was no healthy food in the area. It was a complete food desert as far as organic food. You could not find organic food anywhere. It was all processed, white flour, you know, toxic food. And people didn't, weren't used to eating it. So he, uh, you, know, you know, got some African drummers and got the African uh, outfits. Everyone was wearing them. And they, they, so they put culture there and they, and they served fruit smoothies and say, hey, this is African fruit. And then people were willing to try it. They, then it was cool and interesting. And it wasn't just something weird that someone was trying to force on them. Right. Uh, so, so that bringing culture into it, whatever that means, is uh, a really great way to get people interested in whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the culture piece as well, my background is in mental health. And the culture piece is really how humans heal the fastest and the best from, you know, collective traumas of like natural disasters or whatever it may be. If you can get together with a bunch of your community, even if you don't even know their name and like dance together or eat together or celebrate together, it's a, it's a transformative experience often. And it's often a healing experience too, for the individuals. Yes. Yes. And it, we've, we've had business circles and different things where we, it's not just like the chamber of commerce where everyone goes and changes their card and it's right. very clinical and soulless. Uh, we would tell stories and we'd share things with each other and become more real as human beings. Mm. And, th and that was, that really helped people want to help each other more. Is that something you guys organized as a permaculture effort or was that just yes. other members? Oh, cool. Yes, That's it great. was. Yeah, it was... sounds... you have so many models already that people could just grab and be like, cool, I'll do that in my little area, my neck of the woods. We have a question here about who your mentor was from L.A. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing that or if they're still in L.A., but we have someone who's in L.A. His name is Adonija Miyamura, and he is no longer working with the school. He's um, I'm not sure what he's doing. He's still in South Central. And in the last I heard, he's still giving out plants that he's propagating out of his backyard. Cool. Uh, but I'm not sure if he's doing anything beyond that right now. Okay. But right. he's, he's awesome. He's quite a guy. Yes. I'm, I'm looking at how to put this in chat. Well, it's Adonijah, A-D-O-N. A-D-O-N. I-J-A-H. Adonijah. And Miyamura is M-I-Y-A-M-U-R-A. Okay, got it. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. And then somebody was asking, I was kind of riffing on, because I think my internet kind of went funky for a minute. I was riffing on spiritual capital, the way I think about it. And somebody asked, I'm unfamiliar with spiritual capital in permaculture. And maybe you could extrapolate on that. Well, I, you know, it's whatever is, is real for you. It, there's no, we're not a religious movement. Um, so it's it's really... It's as much about your own spiritual health, whatever, however you define that mm. uh, as anything and, and whatever works for you as far as maintaining that health. But it's something to consider, especially when, you know, I was working a lot of hours for a while, 60 hours. I was volunteering and working and I started getting burnt out. And it, it's good to recognize when that starts happening and yeah. do something about it. 
and before you reach that point, because then your willingness just goes down the tubes. So, um, yep. you know, again, whatever techniques work for you, uh, it's being mindful of, of that happening is checking in with yourself, um, having people in your network that you can talk to and just kind of vent to when you need to. Those are some things I use. Yep. And for me, I was mentioning like in my mental health work, I always think about spiritual as like meaning and purpose. Like if you lose meaning or purpose, that's sort of a spiritual crisis. And I think permaculture is so good at providing us a lot of meaning and purpose. Um, but even still, if we're starting to get burnt out and we're not the other piece to the spiritual connection, I would say that you're hinting at Karina is like the self-care, like making sure that there's balance and that you're not just like grinding so hard because you're so passionate and you have all these opportunities that you're just like burning yourself out or you're burning out relationships that are really critical and important to you. So let's transition into that. I mean, we kind of already touched on it, but maybe you could say more about like you've been doing permaculture businesses for it sounds like three decades or so. And it's like, how do you find the balance? Because there is kind of like, there's always more you can do. There's always more that you could spend time on. There's, you know, same thing with farming. If you get into farming or land management, there's always more work to be done, et cetera. How do you find the balance or what might you encourage like new to permaculture business folks to like keep front and center up front. So the burnout thing may maybe doesn't happen for them. Well, I'm not always good at it. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you want to, there's so much to do and you want to do it all, you know. <laughs> um, so I have a, I'm managing a farm. I'm uh, running a design and education business. I'm also volunteering and I'm trying to launch another um, nonprofit organization that's really big and exciting and crazy. And, and I'm on the board of Pina. So <laughs> I, I do have to step back and go, okay, what am I realistically going to get done this month? Right. You know, and also use that social capital and the other forms of capital to help you. So some, some in, in the U.S., we're really taught um, do it all yourself. You know, yeah. I mean, that's so shoved in on us. Um, but you have help around you. And it, um. sometimes because people are so used to doing it themselves and especially if they run a business on their own, they, they find it difficult to work with others and you just have to work at it. And one thing, simple thing that we did that we're still doing um, is during COVID, we started an online salon mm. and we were doing it twice a month and it's just a great check-in. Like mm. none of us really knew how much we needed that, but just coming there and not knowing what anyone's going to talk about. And we just talk about what we need to talk about. And uh, it's sometimes it's really interesting. We launched this other project from that salon and uh, there's a few other things that have been launched. It's, it's been a really good, good uh, check-in opportunity. Who are the folks involved in that? I, I may have missed it. Well, I just started it myself. Okay. Like with your permaculture community kind of, or your, yeah. your students or okay. the, the Florida permaculture community, but everybody, other people show up. Cool. You know, I love that idea. Yeah. And that and that's something that I'm kicking around. Hopefully Pino will will institute something like this, like a salon or like a just a group hangout where if you're struggling or you're like, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. Anybody got any advice? That there's just a community around that can be like, oh man, me too. <laughs> or like, hey, I'm right next to you. I'm in the town next door. Like, I'd love to help you out, or I'd love to take over this little bit for you to like ease the the burden or whatever. Because there's so much help out there. Like you say, we're so individualized. And I fall into this all the time where it's like, I must do it all on my own. And then as soon as you ask somebody, they're like, oh, absolutely. And you're like, oh, well, gosh, I should have asked you like three days ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What was I thinking? Um, and so let's talk a little bit about, well, let me, let me solidify the whole like self-care thing. I think just like having a daily practice is a really critical thing. And I know when I fall off my daily practice, I notice it, you know, my relationships, it's obvious to my relationships, that sort of thing, where you're just decompressing. And it, maybe it's a movement thing. Maybe it's like Qigong or Tai Chi or yoga or something, or maybe it's a mindfulness thing or a meditation thing or a journaling practice, but something that's just like your daily checking in with yourself. And then you get a sense of like, wow, I'm feeling really tired today. I'm really burnt out. Or 
I just said yes to something that I don't have the bandwidth to actually follow through with these types of things. It's hard to monitor that for me anyway, without like a daily sort of uh, self-care practice. Yeah. So that makes sense. And, you know, my daily practice of choice is a sit spot where mm. I just go out in the food forest or wherever I want to go on the, on the farm and just sit there and not look at around at what needs to be done. <laughs> right. Which <laughs> is hard. What I would, yes. But so I listen to the birds. I, I focus on sound yeah. instead of visual and just listen to what's going on, feel the wind and just, you know, enjoy it because yeah. that's sometimes you can forget <laughs> to do that. Definitely. Well, here we are building all these wonderful ecosystems and all these niches of animals and things, and we don't enjoy it because we're too busy like grinding. So yeah, I love that. That's something I need to do for myself. Uh, our friend Van Rue asked, how can I find a mentor? Um, they said, they mentioned that they kind of had some connections, but they're not available anymore. And how would you pursue that? Obviously, I think joining Pina like, and being connected to a bunch of other practicing permaculturists is a great way. But like, what if you're trying to find one in your local community or, or an expert at something that you're like, well, they're expert at city repair, but I don't live anywhere near city repair. So what would you suggest? Uh, you know, you could start by following them on social media. Mm. That's a really simple way. And you can even ask them questions. Maybe they don't want to answer them on social media, but maybe they do. And, and that's kind of an indicator of how open they are to being a mentor. That's the you know, when I first realized I could contact climate scientists and ask them questions that was from anywhere in the world, like Thailand, <laughs> you know, asking yeah. questions about tropical systems or some expert in biomes, you know, that's just such a revelation. And it's, it's such an awesome resource. No uh, locally, I just, when I first came to Florida, I really didn't know anybody. And I just started asking, well, who's the best arborist you know in town you know and, yeah. and a lot of times you'll get the same answer three or four times and then that's your guy mm. or girl so you got to kind of know what you're looking for in a mentor first i guess right like i'm interested in media and communication well then you want to try to find somebody in that landscape that's like really doing it well and and then you can start to maybe pursue them um but I love that idea of asking around multiple times and then you start to get like a consensus like, oh, so-and-so company is the best in town or the best in the state or something. So that's good advice. Yeah. And I found that a lot of people, especially elders, really love to mentor mm. and they will take the time. That's a, a huge wasted energy in the system that yeah. we could be using more. A hundred percent. So yeah, trying to give trying to give value to the the would be mentor is a, a great way in, especially if they're super busy and they're very very active. And then, like you say, with elders, if they're more in the retirement phase, well, maybe it's just the social connection and being able to pass on that information is enough for them. So, but I love that, and I think the elder piece to permaculture design is really critical because in America, in the United States anyway, that's all I really know. We sort of treat elders, I hate to say this, but it seems to me that sometimes we treat them as like, oh, you're, you're no longer producing. So it's like, you're no longer a value or something. Whereas it seems to me most other cultures throughout all time really honored the wisdom that became mm -hmm. distilled into the elders. And it's like a real loss resource and a real kind of a loneliness that creeps into, I think a lot of older individuals because they feel disconnected and not valued in their community. It's such a waste. And it, you know, one thing that really struck me about that is uh, when I was working with the Lakota tribe, uh, they have grandmothers councils and mm. these grandmothers are, are wisdom carriers and they, they help make decisions and they're brought up from childhood to know that they're going to be the wisdom carriers and that they're going to have this really important position when they get older. Mm. Can you imagine if we were brought up that way? Oh my God. That would change so many people's lives. Again, a meaning like you have a meaning built in from the time you're a kid and a real responsibility to hold that. Yeah, I agree. Rebecca says, my goodness, what a beautiful idea. That is a beautiful idea. Um, 
So here's a just, uh, let's take a left turn here. If you are new to permaculture and you're like excited by it and you're like, oh yeah, like I'm really into this. I want to study it. I want to take a PDC. And then you look up PDCs and you're like, oh, they're like $1,500 or like a thousand bucks or something. And you're, maybe you don't have the, the money at hand. What might you suggest people do to like make money to pay for their PDC? And so my brain is thinking like, we're kind of using permaculture to make enough money to pay for the permaculture design course, what ideas might you have for somebody who can kind of just bootstrap it and make a little bit of extra money to pay for their PDC? Well, I mean, is some of the ideas we've already covered about looking at what your skill sets are and how you can turn that into an ex exchanging them with, with someone. Mm. Uh, a lot of people don't think about that. And uh, again, just looking at a business plan, how are you going to reach people, but make it super simple. If you already have a job and you're, you're still not making enough to pay for the PDC, then consider that. The other thing is that I borrowed the money to do my, I didn't have it at the time. I borrowed the money and I pitched it as an investment yeah. into me and into the future. And I've found people that were interested in that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because it is, it's a great investment. And you know, I started making a living with it and proved to them that it was an investment. And I was able to pay them back over time, I, in part by, by uh, starting this part-time business, giving lectures and doing different little things. Yep. Yeah. And I think, again, about the, the natural capital and like potentially being able to find certain trees that you can take cutting from or so certain plants if you start to identify those and just like sell a few hundred plants from your Facebook marketplace or in your backyard. Now, I know that's a little sketchy because it's not like a proper business, but it's a little bit of side income and just you could sort of use some of the knowledge that you gain just from YouTube and people like Green, etc. to be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll start I'll start doing this little side hustle so I can just save all that money specifically for the PDC that I want to take and the travel that might be involved. And then the other one that came to mind for me was like Verma compost. I just bought $40 worth of worms from a guy on Facebook marketplace. And it was like, oh, I love this guy. He's great. Like he's just doing it in his garage. And it did, it didn't seem like a lot of costs went into that little business of his, but I sent him a couple of other clients, friends of mine. I'm like, oh yeah, go to him. So, you know, he might be making like couple hundred bucks or more every month just off of his small not even a garage size like very postage stamp size worm business out of his garage so lots of ideas yeah i know a, a guy in los angeles who created a full-time business doing that and that that's another thing i want to say about uh, he just started collecting from restaurants and coffee shops coffee grounds mm. and was able to make a full uh, another thing i wanted to say about permaculture businesses is it doesn't have to be using permaculture or, or doing permaculture design education it doesn't have to be directly involved in what everybody usually thinks of permaculture you can use the permaculture tools and the principles etc in anything that you're doing literally yes. anything you can be a lawyer and start applying the principles and make your business more regenerative be focused on you know things that are aligned with the permaculture ethics and uh think through integrating uh, with other lawyers or in different ways to make your business more successful and, and still be able to do ethical things. And, you know, some businesses, it seems harder than others to, <laughs> to align them with permaculture, but we literally need every uh, occupation out there just about in the permaculture system, that permaculture flower covers everything. You know, yes. if we want a, a really regenerative culture, we don't just need gardeners and designers and educators. We need everything. <laughs> yep. So think about what you're good at and what your passion is. doesn't matter if it's gar has anything to do with gardening. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and frankly, we need more of those people because a lot of people that come into permaculture love gardening and that's what they want to do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gardening sexy, but, uh, lawyers are really important and a permaculture lawyer is a very important thing to have on your side if you're trying to start a business or you get into legal trouble, these types of things. So, and, and like you say, every other aspect of society as well. We, we need lawyers that know how to do land trusts and know how to set up intentional community agreements and, you know, exactly. through everything that, that is going to be involved in a transitional phase toward a regenerative culture 
and a lawyer is going to be needed for a lot of yep. things. Yep, exactly. Well, let's transition a little bit because um, we only have a few minutes left with you, Karina. I want to respect your time. Mm -hmm. um, but let's just briefly talk about like your relationship with Pina, your history with Pina. Pina is Permaculture Institute of North America, for anybody not sure. Um, and like, why, why did you join Pi now? What value do you get out of it? But I'm, I'm also just curious about like your history, like how you got into it and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. I, um, I heard about Pina at the first North American Permaculture Convergence and it was a very exciting idea. I had previously been involved in an aquaponics um, professional organization, the creation of it. And I thought, mm. what, you know, we, we need a professional organization. We need an organization that's going to back us up and, you know, provide continuing education and help organize the profession and, and the movement. Mm -hmm. And I, when I found out about it, it was like, yes, I want to support this. <laughs> yeah. Just as a professional, I appreciate the services that Pina provides. And I'm really excited about the how it's expanding and how you're offering you're starting to offer more and more services to members and to the broader community. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so since then you've been on the board most of the time, have you been staff as well? What's your relationship been in the inner workings of Pina? Well, I was, uh, I started being on the Pina board, I think in 2015. Okay. And I kept bugging people in Pina. <laughs> this is a great idea, you know, and they said, well, you want to be on the board. <laughs> Sure. And I've had enough business experience in working with nonprofits. I felt I could be an asset. Uh, it took me a while to really get my wits around what was happening with it. And I, I really appreciate being able to uh, contribute to that experience. Uh, yeah. So I, I've never been a staff. I've, I've worked for Pina doing specific projects. Mm. Yeah. And I have just been hired by Pina, so I'm so grateful to Pina. And I'm, you know, I've been aware of Pina's work, but sort of just on the periphery of my attention. But now that I'm within it, it seems like Pina's really set for this leap phase, like this whole new growth phase, which is really, really exciting. Because to me, when I took my PDC, I was very much like super excited and like so stimulated. And my brain was like doing all the neuron connection things. But I kind of left that experience of the immersion PDC and I was a little bit like whoa now what you know like okay I'm kind of back to just normal life and like I didn't have those connections anymore because the people were coming from all over the state and all over the country and I I'm hoping that Pina can sort of become a very smooth next step for a lot of people to jump into and like have other excited minds to share ideas with and connect you know bioregionally to other you know, maybe beginners and maybe this can even be fertile ground for permaculture businesses to start up where there weren't any previously. So that's what I'm looking forward to over the next few years with Pina's sort of work. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and Pina is able to do such broad scale work, um, which, and, and support broad scale work that other people are doing. And that's also exciting. It's a, you know, the yeah. more we can work together, I like it because it's decentralized. It's not like a authoritarian, organization it really is here to support the community and uh, people can have a say in in what how where it goes and how it operates uh, yeah. but already you know I'm excited about the fire ecology project that Pina did and some of the other things that have supported like putting permaculture into high schools in Houston mm. yeah yeah absolutely me too yeah, and if you're looking to take things to the next level as a professional, consider the diploma program. It, it's really ripe for new um, enrollees and candidates, and we have field advisors that can help sort of walk you through getting to that level of being quote unquote professional, uh, being able to you know accomplish your goals and the goals of your clients that you work with, and you know be true to your word and be able to be sound business wise. Um, I think is something that. Like you're saying originally, Green, like mentorship is really important to that. A little bit of help or a little bit of connection with people who've done it goes like a million miles into the future for you. It can save you a ton of headaches. So, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to all of that. If, if the PINA program had existed when I was getting into business, I it would have shortened my runway tremendously, I believe. Yeah. I, you know, I had to figure it all out myself, a lot of it. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. And I think that 
that's something that we can save the future generations who, who know about pineapple from that sort of headache and heartache and all that goes with that. Last question for you, Kareen. Who do you think it need, permaculture needs to talk with, share information with, or train? Like what sort of group of people? Like I'm thinking like teachers or veterans or police or children. And, and then also who do we need to learn from? Is there any groups of sort of permaculture adjacent, like really interesting groups? Like again, in my mental health world, I think, oh, cognitive scientists really need to learn about permaculture and permaculturists need to really learn about cognitive science. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that like, ooh, that connection is fertile. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, I've been working with a lot of different scientists lately and that's an interesting, you know, connection. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, a couple of the scientists I approached, they were like, well, permaculture, they don't apply science. And I'm like, we're, we're on the ground. We're on the front lines. We're the field people. And yes. And that, clicked for for them they were like okay. oh yeah well we should be coming in there and studying what you're doing <laughs> that's <laughs> right and measuring it and that sort of thing yeah yeah that yeah. makes a heck of a lot of sense because we're sitting out here building ecosystems you know and and we don't always know the best guilds and the best you know the amount of uh, insect biodiversity that has improved due to our work we know that it's working i think in a very general way we know we're improving water and air quality and biodiversity but to have it measured and studied would be amazing that we need that. We need more of that. We need that in every bioregion. So I love that. And, and have you found that scientists are like open to that? Like, how do you approach them? Yeah. I mean, find out what they need, find out what they, uh, what their uh, thoughts are about permaculture and just address it. Mm. And I think that's pretty effective. Um, it's been so for me, and you know, climate science, especially is it, we need to be very much in tune with what they're finding and they need to be in tune with what we're experiencing on the ground. And that's, you know, not just us, but any farmer or any, you know, anybody that's out there, but, but we're doing cutting edge stuff in a lot of cases where we are very edgy in what we're trying and uh, they can learn from that. Yeah. Well, that is so fantastic. Thank you so much, Kareen. This is wonderful. This is the first time we got to really sit and get to know each other a little bit. So how lucky it is for me to be able to do that live with a bunch of other people learning about all your wisdom. So thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Is there any place you'd point people to if you if they're in Florida or they want to connect with you? Where might you send folks? Um, they could go to our website at growpermaculture.com. Okay. Um, I'm on most social media. I'm not super active, but you can find me there. <laughs> Any PDCs coming up? Yeah, I have an online one starting in July, and we have an in-person one in, in Florida in uh, one one weekend a month in September. And people from all over Florida come to that. Awesome. Uh, you know, the online can be anywhere. How, how have you been liking the online? Has that worked out okay? I mean, it seems to miss some of the magic of the immersion one, but at the same time, you can connect to more folks. It's a, definitely a different set of challenges and we're trying to work with it. We, we do have live sessions and we, we try to keep that live connection there. And the salons were part of that. It's like, well, let's just let people hang out, yeah. you know? And it's, it was the students at first and then it opened up. Like let the students meet everybody else, you know? <laughs> That's smart. Yeah, absolutely. That makes it way more like sticky, I would think, to be bought in and to keep coming and finishing all the lessons, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, we have a bunch of thank you so much is in the comments. So people are very appreciative, as am I. Um, I'm just going to transition to an outro video. Um, so that's pretty much it. Thank you, everybody. You'll be able to find the uh, we're going to put up a podcast of this later and we'll have this archived on our live. If you go to the live link on the YouTube channel, you can watch it again or send it to friends, etc. So thanks again, Corrine. I hope you have a wonderful week and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Everybody. <laughs>